Uh, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read the first eight verses here. And we'll jump into the message here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city, this of course being Jesus. And behold, they brought to him a, a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier, to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, that, who which had given such power unto men. All right, let's pray. We'll get into the message here. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for giving us safety to come in and, and to sing these songs, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you just be with this, um, this time now as, as we uh, open your word up, Lord. I pray that I be filled with your spirit, Lord, that I say only what you would have me to say and that you speak to the hearts that are here tonight. And uh, Lord, those who are watching as well, I pray that you meet uh, every need that is present. Lord, especially if there's one in here who has a need of salvation, I pray that today be the day of salvation for them, that they repent and place their faith and trust completely in Jesus Christ. And we'll glorify you through it all, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now this passage uh, is fairly familiar to us. It is a, it's a very powerful one, a very incredible one, I think. And I think the more you study it out, the more you can draw from it, as with any passage in the Word of God. But, uh, so there's a few different aspects you could take when you're looking at this passage. Um, quite often, a message you hear coming out of this passage would focus on the faith of the men who brought the one who was sick of the palsy, or, the, of course, the faith of the, the man, the paralytic man as well. Um, so you see the, the, the importance of faith demonstrated in this account. We also see a progression of what should take place in a life when the sin, are for, sin is forgiven, salvation occurs... You then have obedience. When Christ tells him to, re- to take up his bed and walk, he obeys. He does something he had not had power to do previously. Something that, of course, we can only live the Christian life in God's power, not in our own power. And then God is glorified. So you have salvation, obedience to Christ, and God's glorification. That is a natural progression, something that should take place uh, when salvation occurs. This passage also shows the deity of Christ. And that is, this is the, uh, the context, the proper context of this miracle. Christ is giving this miracle. He's healing this paralytic man to, to prove his deity, his power to forgive sins. And that's what it says there in verse 5. What, what's easier? You know, to, to say that sins can be forgiven thee or to tell this paralytic man, this man who is paralyzed... To, rise, to take up his bed and go to his house. And so to, to prove that he does have the power to forgive sins, he heals this man. So it shows the deity of Christ. And then, of course, we also see the deity of Christ in the fact that he knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. But the, the focus of tonight's message will be centered really on Christ's first words here when he is addressing the man with the palsy. When he says, Son, be of good cheer... Thy sins be forgiven thee. Again, he has not yet healed the man. This man is still paralyzed. 
cannot, whether, you know, at least, whether partial paralysis or full paralysis, he, can, he cannot really move. But here Christ is saying, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven. Now, if we were maybe one of the men who helped bring this paralytic man to Christ, we would tell man, cheer up, we're almost there, we're almost to the house, Jesus is going to heal you, man, it's going to be great. And, of course, we, we know they demonstrated great faith, but... When we're trying to encourage this man, we would not say, man, Christ is going to forgive your sins. That's going to, it's going to be encouraging. That's, what we would, that's not what we would use to cheer him up. Now, obviously, we know those men did not know what Christ was going to do. But too often, our focus on circumstances is what affects our joy. Or we're trying to tell people to cheer up because this pleasant circumstance, this pleasant situation is about to happen in your life. But understand... That if Christ had never healed this man, he still would have reason to be happy because of salvation. Because his sins were forgiven. Again, circumstances should never be the source of our joy. Now, you hear that oftentimes in the, in, when we're talking about negative circumstances. When we're going through a hard time, um, you, you know circumstances should not be part of your joy because you're going to go through hard times. Just like this, this uh, man who, who suffered from the palsy. Uh, circumstances weren't going to be too good for him. So if circumstances were the cause of his joy, he was going to have no joy. But this is also true in positive circumstances. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we'll read a few verses here. Verse 17. Luke 10, verse 17 is where we'll pick up. Christ has sent out 70 men. You see that at the beginning of the chapter to minister. And here they are returning. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. They were able to cast out devils. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Circumstances should not be the source of our joy, even when we are riding that spiritual wave. When everything is going good, as Christ is telling them, they had a lot of power in their ministry right now. Able to cast out devils. Able to <clears throat> tread on serpents. And nothing that the devil was going to throw at them was going to overpower them. But he said, that's not the reason you should rejoice. You should rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Because you are saved. You have salvation. Your sins are forgiven. And oftentimes when we're, when we're having that spiritual high, when we've been having spiritual victory in our life, that becomes the source of our joy. And that's what we cling to, but that should never be what we cling to for our joy, because guess what? We're inevitably going to fail. And we're going to be defeated. And if our spiritual victories were the source of our joy, then when we are defeated, we will have no joy. Now, spiritual victories can help your joy, they can encourage you greatly, 
and, and they should. We should, we sh- we should obviously uh, feel encouraged when we are closer to the Father, when we are uh, living a life that is pleasing to God, but we cannot rely on that as our source of joy. But if salvation is the source of our joy, then we will always have it, regardless of circumstances. Regardless of what you're facing, if salvation is the source of your joy, you will always have some level of joy in your life. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be overflowing with exuberance constantly. You know, it's hard to do sometimes when those financial uh, difficulties hit. But you, if, you're, if salvation is the source of your joy, you will always have some level of joy in your life. So the question is, what we're going to be focusing on here tonight is why does, salva- why does salvation, why does forgiveness of sins bring such cheer to a life? Why is it such a powerful force of joy to us? Now, to answer that question, we're going to dive a little bit into what salvation entails. What it means. Getting in a little bit into the soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, to, to uh, give, use a Bible college word. Um, but we're going to see this demonstrated in three major points, three main points here. Redemption, liberty, and peace. All of these will help, are, are part of salvation, but there's a, there's a reason for joy in our life. So first off, we're going to look at redemption. When we are saved, we are redeemed. At the moment of salvation, we are redeemed by the blood of of Christ. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 18. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. Says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Again, we are not redeemed, it's kind of a side note, but we're not redeemed by any works that we might do. We cannot redeem ourselves back to God. We have to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. And when we are redeemed, we are purchased from the power of sin and the power of Satan, and we are placed into the family of God. Now, if we are going to try to dive in and delve into the, the full effect and the full meaning of redemption, uh, we would be here for weeks. Uh, redemption is such a deep subject and it affects our lives in so many areas that we are not even aware of. But we don't have weeks tonight. We only have a few short minutes. So we're going to look at three things uh, regarding our redemption. The first is that we have been redeemed from sin and from uh, it's the wages from hell. Uh, We have been redeemed to our Heavenly Father, and that our bodies will be redeemed in the future. So first off, under redemption, we'll look at that we are redeemed from sin. Let's turn to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3.
verse 13. Galatians 3, verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, what is the curse of the law? Verse 10 covers that. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do. The curse of the law, simply put, is sin. But the main thing about the law is we can't keep everything that's contained in the law. That's the, you can say, man, the law is great, except the ones it's given to, we can't keep it. That's because, of course, it was given to show us our need of salvation, our need of God. We cannot earn our way into heaven. So the curse of the law, Christ has redeemed us from. He has redeemed us from sin, from the power of sin. And when he redeemed us from the power of sin, he, he redeemed us really from, the, from an eternity in a lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 15 says, All who are not found written in the book of life are cast into a lake of fire. <clears throat> now, the fact that we are redeemed from this is a great cause for joy. I mean, that's why Christ told his disciples, you should rejoice, because your names are written in the book of life. Your names are written in heaven. The worst thing that can happen to us on this earth is infinitely more enjoyable than spending eternity in a lake of fire. Think of the worst thing you can experience on earth still way better than the lake of fire. This is cause for joy. And it gives us much better perspective. So if pastor didn't acknowledge you the way that you think he should have, well, guess what? That's better than spending eternity in a lake of fire. Your car seems like a black hole for money. And you just keep throwing money into it and, and seems like nothing happens. That's still better than spending eternity in hell. Maybe your marriage isn't where you want it to be. And obviously you need to work on that. But think of what you could, what situation you could be in. Facing the condemnation of God. So remembering what we are redeemed from will give us a better perspective for our life. And when those offenses arise, and they will, those offenses will come. Think of what we have been redeemed from, and that should give you some cheer in your life. We are redeemed from sin and from the lake of fire. Secondly, we are redeemed to the Father. Let's turn to Revelation 5, verse 9. I'm going to start picking up the pace here a little bit. Running out of time already. Revelation 5, verse 9. It says, And they sung a new song, this is of course in heaven, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Not only are we redeemed from sin and from hell, but we are redeemed to the Father. Christ did not just save us from the lake of fire. He provided us access to the Almighty God, to, the, to our Heavenly Father. We have entered into a familial relationship with the God of Heaven, the Omnipotent One, the All-Knowing One. 
We have been redeemed to. We have been given access to. As John said in 1 John 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we can be called the sons of God. That's a, that's a reason to rejoice. That we have access to God. Just to be saved from hell would be, would be plenty. Man, that would be enough to rejoice about. But the fact that we can go into the throne room of heaven in prayer and communicate with the one who has all power, can change circumstances at a whim. Whatever he wants to do, he can do it. And we have direct access to that. We would love to have direct access maybe to the governor or to the president and say, hey, I need this changed in, in, a, in a circumstance in my life. I need help here. We'd love to have that kind of direct access to a political figure who can change some things. We have something far greater in access to the Father. The fact that we have been redeemed back to the Father and we have entered into the family of God. In trouble, we can run to Him. He is a present help in time of trouble. And in good times, we can glorify Him. Uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 30, uh, verse 12, I believe it is, says that in my glory will I sing unto God. In other words, when things are going good for us, we should praise God. We shouldn't bring all the, all the glory to ourselves. We should deflect the glory to God. Because, but we have been redeemed back to the Father. We have protection. We have wisdom. And so much more because of this redemption being redeemed back to the Father, the fact that we have access to God, and that should provide us with some good cheer. We have been redeemed to the Father. Thirdly, our bodies will be redeemed in the future. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll pick it up in verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but what hope that is seen, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, what a glorious day this will be when, we, when our bodies are transformed and we receive the glorified body, the heavenly body, as it is called there in 1 Corinthians 15, the incorruptible body, when death has finally been conquered. When our bodies have been redeemed and we have been given these glorified bodies, bodies that know no sin, that they do not know the effects of sin, they do not groan under the burden of sin. What a day that will be. No more sin nature hindering us from serving God, from pleasing God. And while we might groan under the, the weight of sin right now, our bodies will be redeemed from sin's presence. And we hope for that. And that's not a, oh, I hope the weather is good tomorrow type of hope. This is a hope that has certainty to it. We know it is going to take place. It's just a matter of time. It's inevitable that our bodies will be redeemed, that we'll be given glorified bodies. It's inevitable. 
Now we just sit here and, as it says, we patiently wait for it. Patiently hope for it. And again, knowing that these hardships that we face are not indefinite. They're not going to go on forever and ever and ever. There will come a time when we are delivered from the burden of sin, from the weight of sin, when we are redeemed from that and we receive these glorified bodies that cannot sin. And that is something to look forward to. As when you're going through a hard time, when you know it's going to end, when you know there's something good waiting for you at the end, it, it gives you some strength, it gives you some hope, it gives you some cheer. The fact that our bodies will be redeemed, the redemption of our body will occur, man, that's a cause for joy. No matter what we're facing, we can joy in the redemption that we have in salvation. Redeemed from hell, from a lake of fire. Redeemed to the Father. And our bodies will be redeemed in the future. That is cause for great cheer. Second is liberty. We are given liberty in salvation. Let's turn to Romans 6. Flip back a couple pages here from Romans 8. Romans chapter 6, we'll read a few verses here. Starting in verse 14, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 18. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Verse 20. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Verse 22. But now being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. Now this liberty is not what many suppose it is today. This liberty we have at salvation is not a liberty to live how we want to live, to live according to the lusts of our flesh. That is not the liberty that the Bible tells us we have. But rather, this liberty is a freedom from the bondage of sin. A lost person cannot perform righteousness. Because those in a lost position cannot please God. Romans 8 verse 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So a lost person cannot perform righteousness. He is bound to sin. He has no choice in the matter. Much like the paralytic man back in Matthew was bound to his bed. Didn't have a choice. He couldn't move. He was bound to his bed, and the lost person is bound to sin. At the moment of salvation, Christ gives us a liberty from this bondage to serve the Lord Christ. We are set free from sin, but as Romans 6 details, it is our choice whether we will serve God or the flesh. It comes down to a choice of who we are going to serve. But the point is, the lost don't have a choice. Those who are not saved do not have that choice. And if you are struggling, if you're doubting your salvation because of the struggle you have with sin, that's probably a good sign that you are saved. The lost may feel some remorse, but they're not going to have a daily struggle. It's not going to be much of a struggle at all. They're just going to sin. Again, they don't have much of a choice because they do not have a new nature. In Romans chapter 7, Paul reveals his own personal struggle with sin. And the reason that there is a struggle is because there are two natures striving for dominion. 
Romans 7, verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Two natures warring against each other. There's a struggle, there's a battle taking place, but the lost person is free from righteousness. Verse 20 of Romans chapter 6, For when you were the servants of sin, where when you were lost, you were free from righteousness. You don't have much of a struggle. So again, if you're doubting salvation because you constantly have this battle and it seems like you, you lose most of the time, you very well are saved because the lost have no battle, really, that takes place. Again, they may feel remorse, may feel some shame, especially if they are caught. If their sin is discovered and there's some consequences, but there's not an inward battle that takes place. And while we Christians may go through an exhausting spiritual struggle, and yes, oftentimes it feels like we fail more often than we succeed. We are defeated more often than we have victory. There is still cause for joy because we are no longer bound to sin. We do have an option. We do have a choice. And yes, we may stumble, but we can take comfort and have good cheer knowing that our yielding to sin is not inevitable. Oftentimes when we get into those temptations, it feels like, well, I'm going to sin eventually, so I might as well just do it now and get it over with. No, it is not inevitable that we sin. We have an an alternative option. There's another option for us. We can yield ourselves to God and overcome the sin. Again, this is a cause of great, great cheer, great encouragement for us. That we have been given a liberty from sin to serve Christ. And again, it is up to us whether we make the most of that or not. So we have cause for great cheer from salvation because of redemption, because of the liberty that we have been given, and thirdly, because of peace. The peace that salvation brings. Now, peace is one of the most sought-after things in the world and has been throughout history. The seeking of peace has actually been one of the most destructive forces in the history of the world. We can think of different, with the geopolitics, uh, different things that have been um, conceded to have peace, to try to have peace. Think especially before World War II when you had all of Europe basically acquiescing to Adolf Hitler's demands. Trying to keep peace, peace, peace. And all they did was strengthen him and strengthen him and strengthen him until war finally broke out. The seeking of peace can be very destructive. Even today, young people especially are being deceived into thinking they can obtain peace through various means. Think of transgenderism. Oh, I don't have, I don't know, I don't have very much peace within myself. And the world says, well, that's because you haven't really discovered yourself yet. Here's an option for you. And that destroys them faster than almost anything else. It's the prevailing wind right now of transgenderism. Wicked. But it's people seeking after peace. They're trying to find something in their life, something that will calm their soul, will calm their spirit, will give meaning to life. They're looking for peace, but they're looking in the wrong direction, in the wrong thing. The seeking of peace through the wrong avenues will bring about destruction. And it's sad as you look at this world and so many people looking for peace in their life 
and they turn to drugs and they turn to alcohol, pleasure, money. And it just destroys their life. Because they're looking at it in the wrong avenue, in the wrong place. Now that said, there is nothing that compares to true peace. Which is only found in Jesus Christ. True peace can only be found in Christ, in God. Now salvation gives us two types of peace. Peace with God, and then the peace of God. The peace of God, uh, with God, let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We have peace with God. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before salvation, we were the enemies of God. We needed a peace treaty. We needed to make peace with God, and our justification is what accomplishes that. It is not our works. It is not getting baptized. It is not saying a prayer. It is our justification through faith in Jesus Christ that accomplishes this peace with God. Now, what does that mean when we have that peace? It means we need fear his wrath no longer. Yes, there will be times of chastisement when we sin and we go astray and he, he chastises us and brings us back. But we are no longer under condemnation because we have peace with God. It's similar to being redeemed back to the Father. We are no longer under condemnation. God is no longer against us. He is for us. And as Romans 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? What can overcome us when we have made peace with God, when God is for us? And though Satan may stand up and he throws those accusations at us, man, his accusations will be met by God's rebuke because we have peace with God. Let's look at Zechariah. Book of Zechariah, chapter 3. One of the last books in the Old Testament. If you go back to Matthew, you flip back a couple books, you find the book of Zechariah. Chapter 3. We'll read the first two verses. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. That word resist means to attack or to accuse. And we know Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation tells us that. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Joshua was a saved man. He was a high priest. He was a great man of God. Satan is standing up to resist him, to accuse him. And God says, and Jesus says, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Are we not all brands plucked out of the fire? We were in condemnation. We were going to be consumed by the wrath of God. But we have been pulled out of the fire. And now God is for us. No matter the accusations that may be hurled at us by Satan, as he is trying to make us feel 
more and more guilty about how we can't serve God, we can't please God, we might as well give up. God is standing there saying, the Lord rebuked thee. Jesus is saying, the Lord rebuked thee, Satan. I've made peace with this soul. There's been a peace made, and he is now one of our, one of our own. This should bring cause of great joy, the fact that we have peace with God. And because we have made peace with God, we can have the peace of God. Let's turn to John 14. John chapter 14, and we'll read verse 27. is Christ giving his final instructions to his disciples before his crucifixion. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Christ knows he's about to be crucified, that he's not going to be with them very much longer. And so he says, I'm giving you my peace. And because of that, your heart need not be troubled. You need not be afraid of what is coming. What they are about to face is going to rock their world. It's going to turn their world upside down. The thing they've been, uh, the man they've been living with for three years, crucified, and now he's gone. It'd be pretty troubling to us, two of them. But he's saying, "I'm leaving you my peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid." And this peace of God can give us such a strength, such a quietness, as the word peace really uh, implies, that no matter what goes on, we can be just steady. We don't have to be up and down like a roller coaster. We can just be steady, calm, or serenity in our lives and our souls because of the peace. Not saying you won't have questions. I'm not saying you're going to have, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm just going to be rock steady the entire way. No, but we can have a peace, a connection to God, <clears throat> a peace of God that is so incredible it passes understanding. Philippians 4 tells us that. The peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. When the peace of God is present in a life, it defies the ability of the finite mind to comprehend. We can't understand that kind of a peace. The lost cannot understand that kind of a peace. It's beyond their ability to understand. And especially when it is shown in the middle of tragedy, it really baffles those who do not have it in their own life. We have something that can steady us in those storms of life, that can give us a calm in life that the lost do not have. That those whose sins are not forgiven, they do not have this peace. And we can rejoice because we can have the peace of God in our lives no matter what happens. No matter what gets thrown our way, we can have a peace that passes understanding. That is a cause of great cheer, of great joy. As we close here, that phrase that Christ said to the a paralytic man, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins 
be forgiven thee. How often we miss the truth that is found in that phrase. We don't think about our redemption. How we are redeemed from hell. We are redeemed back to the Father and our bodies will be redeemed in the future. We'll have glorified bodies. We don't rejoice in the liberty that we have. That we are not bound to sin. But we, are, we have been made free from sin to become the servants of righteousness. That's a cause to rejoice. That we don't have to sin. And then that peace. We've, been, we've had peace, made peace with God through justification. And we can have the peace of God in our life. All through salvation. All because our sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we just, I don't even know if I scratch the surface of the great joy that can come because we have salvation in our life. But there may be some in here who have not had their sins forgiven. And if so, there is no cause for cheer in your life. There's nothing you can point to in your life that can help you, that can be a source of joy when the trials of life hit. doesn't matter that your life's going great right now. It's no true source of joy. You have not yet been redeemed from your sins. You are under condemnation from God. And if you die tonight, you'll pass from this comfortable building into hell, filled with torments. A place where you are removed from God. You have not been redeemed back to the Father. You do not have access to the one who can fix any problem. Who is all powerful. Your body will not be redeemed from the weight of sin, but rather it will be condemned to a lake of fire for eternity. This is real. The Bible is not a book of legends. It is truth. And those who are who pass into eternity, who die without making peace with God through the justification of Jesus Christ, will pass off into eternity and spend eternity in a lake of fire, burning forever and ever and ever. And again, in your own strength, in, our flesh, in your flesh, you are incapable of performing righteousness. You have no choice but to sin, but to disobey a holy God. And while you may be searching for peace and you may have found some momentary calmness, your searching for peace outside of God will eventually lead to your destruction. Many people search for peace in religion. Saying, I'll just appease God by my works, by how much money I can give. It will lead to your destruction. You have not made peace with God through justification by faith in Christ. And therefore you cannot have the peace of God. The only peace that is left to the lost is the one that the world giveth. Which will fail when it is put to the test. Yet, though it's a dim picture, there is still hope. You have not breathed your last breath. 
The justification by faith in Jesus Christ is still available for you. And for that, you have hope. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now, today, is the day of salvation. Won't you turn from your sins and whatever you are trusting in for that peace with God and turn to Jesus Christ who lived on this life, lived on this earth, a perfect life, met God's requirement for perfection, but he went to the cross anyway and he paid the penalty for the sins of all mankind. And God placed on him our sins, your sins, my sins, and judged him, put the full weight of his wrath on Jesus Christ so that we could be saved, so that we could escape the penalty, so that we could be justified, made just as if we have never sinned, made perfect. We are given the righteousness of Christ so that when we die and stand before God, we are perfect. We have the righteousness of Christ abiding on us. We are justified by faith in Christ. What great joy awaits the lost sinner. But they have to put their faith wholly in the work of Jesus Christ. And the one that does that, the Bible says, He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You don't have to meet a certain requirement. Christ has power on earth to forgive sins because it is only on sins on earth that sins can be forgiven. You cannot wait until you pass to eternity for your sins to be forgiven. It has to be while you are still on this earth, while you are still breathing. And won't you come to him today? Escape this doom that is waiting you. Spend an eternity in a, in a lake that burns and burns, a lake of fire. There is no end. Separated for eternity from God. <coughs> but you can escape it by putting your faith completely in Jesus Christ. Won't you do that tonight? A crowd this size, I would be foolish to assume everyone in here is saved. And for the lost person, maybe the Spirit is speaking to your heart. Come tonight. Put your faith and trust in Him completely. And you will have your sins forgiven. And again, a great joy awaits those who do so. Let's bow our head, close our eyes.